Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with WatsonX Governance. Learn more at ibm.com governance. IBM. Let's create. There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events, like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more. Connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Limited time offer. Requires 0% APR 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The year is 1883. The last days of winter are giving way to spring. The prairie of the Indian Territory will soon be bright green, almost glowing with new life. A black preacher named Reverend William Stewart tends his land. He owns this farm spread, located in the Chickasaw Nation. The Reverend plans to burn off what remains of winter. It's common prairie management, something his native neighbors have long used to prepare for spring. But the Reverend's intentional grass fire burns out of control. Soon, it crosses over onto nearby grazing lands. 45 cowboys work that land. They're a mix of native, black, and white cowboys. The foreman's name is Jim Webb. He's not a decent or kind man. He's quick to anger and he's prone to violence. He's also a bigot. As fast-spreading wildfire burns into the soft hills of grass, Jim Webb saddles up and rides hard over to Reverend Stewart's farm. There's little either man can do now. He dismounts and confronts the preacher. He spits hot words in the black reverend's face. The reverend takes it for a while, since he's the forgiving sort. But when he tries to calm the cowboy's anger, Webb flies into a white-hot rage. He will tolerate no backtalk. He kills the black preacher. And then, Jim Webb leaves the black man of God lying dead on the prairie, surrounded by the burning grass fire. A federal warrant is issued for the reverend's murderer. 
The lawman, Bass Reeves, is given the writ. In charge of dispensing law and order in the Indian Territory, Bass Reeves was the first black man hired to be a U.S. Marshal west of the Mississippi. Before Deputy Marshal, he'd been a tracker and guide in the Indian Territory. He knows the land. He knows the people. Plus, he speaks a few of the languages of the five tribes of the Indian Territory. Above it all, he's fearless. As the biographer of the Indian Territory, D.C. Gideon, wrote in 1901, Bass Reeves, quote, fears nothing that moves and breathes. He has good reason. He's deadly accurate with both his revolvers and his Winchester. He stands six feet two with his boots off, weighs around 180 pounds. He's a big man, known for his big voice, booming laugh, and good time personality. He can talk, and he likes to. He's particularly fond of his thick black walrus mustache. He knows it makes him distinct. He also always wears a black hat for the same reason. It makes him recognizable from a distance. Bass Reeves has a strong hunch where to find the outlaw Jim Webb. He starts his manhunt at Bywater's general store. When Webb sees Bass Reeves ride up to the general store, he runs, jumps out of a window. The outlaw takes a Winchester rifle with him and a revolver. He makes a desperate run for his horse. Bass spots his prey fleeing. He spurs his horse and cuts off Jim Webb's escape route. Webb turns and sprints for some tall brush. He makes it about 500 yards. Then he turns and fires his Winchester. It's a fatal mistake. Here is how Bass Reeves recalled the end of Jim Webb. Before I could drop off my horse, his first bullet cut a button off my coat, and the second cut my bridle rein in two. I shifted my six-shooter and grabbed my Winchester and shot twice. The outlaw Jim Webb falls to the earth, gut shot. But he isn't dead yet. He calls out for Bass Reeves to come closer. Bass was no fool. He tells the gut shot outlaw to throw off his revolver and rifle into the brush. Webb does as he's ordered. Good to his word, Bass Reeves draws closer. Dying breaths, Jim Webb pays his final respects to the lawman who took his life. Give me your hand, Bass. You are a brave man. I want you to accept my revolver and scabbard as a present, and you must accept them. Take it, for with that I have killed eleven men. Curiously, when the Arkansas Gazette reports this story on July 4th, 1884, there's no mention of Bass Reeves. The shooting death of Jim Webb is left vague. The black lawman is not given credit for killing the white outlaw. It's the same sort of passive language familiar from officer-involved shootings today. A man named Webb, charged with murder, engaged them in a running fight and was fatally wounded, dying the next day. Jim Webb was from Texas. He was likely white and a former Confederate soldier, the sort of man who'd want to give an honorable enemy his gun and scabbard. We don't know this for sure. All we know for certain is it was important that the American newspaper reading public never really focus on the fact there was a black lawman shooting white men dead on the prairie. The image of a formerly enslaved black man riding around on horseback with a license to kill tended to make white people uncomfortable. Over his 32-year career, Bass Reeves claimed to have killed at least 14 men. We can only confirm that Bass Reeves officially killed five men, but we have no reason to doubt him. He was a man of his word, not prone to exaggeration or puffery. We just can't corroborate his number with news accounts. But if we do take him at his word that he killed 14 men in gunfights, then there's no debate at all that Bass Reeves was the most lethal lawman in the Wild West. Think of it this way. His record as a gunfighter was 14-0. He was undefeated. 
No other lawman comes close, black or white. Sorry, Wyatt Earp. Yeah, this a home, it's been a long road for us. We taking ownership over everything owed to us. Royalty, we surrounded by our heritage. Our fist up, cause we proud to be American. I'm Zaren Burnett. Welcome to Black Cowboys, an iHeart original podcast. What's really in the name? Sitting on a Mustang, riding through the plains. Buffalo soldier, the king of the range. We in love with the cowboy way. Chapter 3 The Lawman, Bass Reeves. No, Pop, when I was young, you told me about Bass Reeves, and he was this bad, bad man in my mind. He was this informally enslaved black man who frees himself. He rides around the West, arresting and even shooting white men dead in the name of the law. But I was a boy. That meant something different to me. What did it mean to you as a man, a father, a black man in America? Bass Reeves had a singular position in my personal history and, my, and in my understanding of history. In order to understand Bass Reeves, you have to understand after the Civil War, everything was in flux. Everything had changed. And Bass Reeves had left the slavery before the war ended. So he made himself free. Then when freedom came to the West, he was ready for it. He was dedicated to freedom and justice as a natural idea in the same way that Stevie Wonder was born to play music. Bass would have been a police officer and a justice person wherever he landed because that was in him. Bass was amazing at taking people in. He only killed 14 people out of like three or 4,000 that he arrested. That's not many people. So it was not like he was a bloodthirsty, crazy man. It's almost like he, uh, he had a zeal like a minister has a zeal. To be a minister, he had a deal to be a lawman in the same way. His mother first began to worry about Bass Reeves when he was a boy. When he worked in the field, he loved to sing songs about murder and outlaws. She wasn't sure where he learned the songs. No one she knew sang them. Bass started his life as the enslaved child property of a white family. He was born sometime in July 1838 in Crawford County, Arkansas. He worked the field as a child, but as he grew bigger, he was picked to be a body man to the son of his owner. He was a mix of a valet and protection. Bass wasn't taught to read, as he'd requested. Instead, he was taught to shoot. This was rare for an enslaved person. He became so skilled with a gun in his hand, his owner entered him into turkey shoot competitions, which Bass typically won. When war broke out, Bass accompanied his master to the Civil War. He claims that he was at the Battle of Missionary Ridge, Chickamauga, and Pea Ridge. There's no record for what a slave was doing in the war. All we have are oral histories. According to oral history, this is when Bass Reeves got free. As the story goes, Bass and his master were playing cards. Some stories say they'd wagered on his freedom. Others say they just got into a disagreement. What all the stories agree on is what happened next. Bass Reeves knocks his owner the fuck out. And then he frees himself. He sneaks out of the Confederate camp and he escapes the Civil War. He goes on the run and flees to the Seminole and Creek Nation in present-day Oklahoma. For the remainder of the war, he stays there. He soon learns the Muscogee language of the Creek and Seminole. He also learns to speak some Cherokee, Choctaw, and Chickasaw. They are the five tribes of the Indian Territory. Bass Reeves is accepted by the tribes. He learns their land, their ways, becomes a proficient hunter, trapper, guide, and scout. After the war is over, as the nation stitches itself together, it begins to look west. 
1875, President Grant appoints Judge Parker to the bench of the federal court at Fort Smith, Arkansas. It's the official U.S. court for the Indian Territory. He soon becomes known as Hanging Judge Parker, the same man who will twice sentence Cherokee Bill to, quote, hang by the neck until he is dead. He's also a two-term congressman who served on the House Committee on Indian Affairs. He's sent to restore law and order in the Indian Territory, and he'll need good men to do it. One of the first men the newly appointed Judge Parker hires as a deputy marshal is Bass Reeves. Judge Parker understands the stakes at hand with a black man dispensing justice on the prairie. According to his fellow judge, Paul Brady, He reminded Bass that he would be in a position as deputy to show the lawful, as well as the lawless, that a black man was the equal of any other law enforcement officer on the frontier. He convinced Bass to join him in helping to establish the rule of law over the rule of men, and to bring law where there had never been any law before. Few men of their day would have guessed it, but these two men have a lot in common. Not on the surface. One man is a judge, the other man is an illiterate runaway slave. Yet, over their two decades of working together, they'll discover they are equally committed to justice. Dedicated lawmen. And consequently, they become close friends. Unexpected as it may be. The key is that they can both trust the other to be good at their job and true to their word. They are honorable men in a place overrun with their opposite. As a, you know, a formerly enslaved man who freed himself, here he is having the chance to not get revenge or vengeance, but he can enact his will on these white people that would have been possibly former enslavers, and yet he doesn't ever enact vengeance that way. He sticks to the letter of the law. Do you find that commendable? I do. I admire it because what he is, he's not letting external factors change his values. He's a, he's a fair and just man. So the fact that there are other people who were not fair and just who had visited their abuse upon him, that didn't change him to be like them. You know, he was still a fair and just man. He could still be trusted to go out and arrest anybody from the judge to his son and bring them back with the same level of integrity. That's unheard of. You know, man, that, that's, I mean, not unheard of because he did it, but that's it, it's like, it's very unusual. That's a level of self-assuredness and belief that could only come from inside of him. You know, nobody taught him any of that. That was in him to do right. Mass Reeves was a hard man and complex, a perfect fit for the hard, complex place that he called home. A news story published in the early 1900s that was eventually syndicated by the Washington Post described the land as, quote, There is not in all the United States a place where a deputy marshal is such an important figure as in Indian Territory. According to that same turn-of-the-century news story, When Reeves commenced riding as deputy marshal, all of Oklahoma and Indian Territory were under the jurisdiction of Fort Smith Court, and the deputies from Fort Smith rode to Fort Reno, Fort Sill, and Anadarko for prisoners, a distance of 400 miles. In those days, the Missouri, Kansas, and Texas Railroad running south across the territory marked the western fringe of civilization. Eighty miles west of Fort Smith, it was known as the Deadline, and whenever a deputy marshal from Fort Smith or Paris, Texas, crossed the Missouri, Kansas, and Texas track, he took his life in his hands and he knew it. When a deputy and his posse man rode out of Fort Smith into the territory, neither he nor his friends knew whether he would ever ride back again. Bass Reeves never let any fear of what could or might happen cause him to shrink from his duty. He was as fearless as they come, and he preferred to rely on himself and his own wits. Not to mention, he was a recognizable figure on the prairie, a big target. 
The way to get around his high profile, Bass Reeves loved to slip into a good disguise. He seemed to revel in his undercover work. He could use expectations that others had for black people against them, turn their prejudices to his favor. One time, Bass Reeves went out to search for two outlaw brothers. Word was the men were hiding out somewhere down by the Texas border. Bass Reeves leaves his posse man behind and rides out alone to bring back the bad men to justice. His plan is simple. He'll disguise himself as a tramp, someone they'd never suspect was a lawman. Then, once he's close enough, he'll pull his gun and arrest them. He removes the heels from a pair of busted shoes. He uses an old cane to walk. He gets an old floppy-ass hat. He shoots three holes in it. With some carefully applied dirt and stink, he's ready for his game of subterfuge. Then he walks the 28 miles to the outlaw's hideout. When he arrives, the outlaws aren't around. Only their mother is there. Bass changes tactics. Knowing her sons are on the run, he poses as a less fortunate outlaw who's also on the run from a posse, and he begs her for a hot meal. She feels for him and obliges. She invites him in. As he eats, the mother conspires with the undercover lawman, saying, It would be a good plan that you and my boys join forces so that you can be a protection to one another. The irony is cruel. Sometimes, after darkness falls, the outlaw brothers ride up. They whistle to their mom. When she whistles back to let them know the coast is clear, the brothers ride up to their hideout and dismount. They meet their mother's new addition to their gang. The brothers are fans of their mother's plan. They like Bass. Later that night, when the outlaw brothers and Bass Reeves go to sleep, they're all in the same main room of the cabin. Bass waits until the house is quiet, save for the sounds of two sleeping outlaws and their mother. Once the sounds of sleep take hold, Bass springs into action. He sneaks over and handcuffs the outlaws together. Somehow, he doesn't wake them. The next morning, the brothers come to, urged awake by Bass Reeves' boot. He kicks the outlaws awake, and then they learn with a rough shock that they've been captured. Their mother feels cheated and lied to. She follows Bass Reeves and her boys for three miles, cussing out the lawman the whole damn time. A deputy marshal's job is a mostly thankless one. Over his 32-year career as a lawman, Bass Reeves arrested 3,000 hardened criminals. That's an average of 94 arrests a year, every year, for 32 years. In other words, for three decades, he hunted the most desperate men in America. Outlaws willing to kill to stay free. As the turn-of-the-century news story made plain to its readers, There were three principal classes of outlaws, murderers, horse thieves, and bootleggers. Added to the Indians and mixed Negroes and Indians were the white outlaws that had fled from Texas, Kansas, and other states. Whiskey was illegal in Indian territory. To sneak in whiskey, sometimes cowboys would slide a bottle in their boot, thus the term bootlegger. Profit-minded cowboys were also whiskey runners for the busy whiskey towns, the ones just over the border from Indian nations. When a bootlegger was busted, they were charged with the crime of introducing. That was short for, quote, introducing spiritous liquor in the Indian country. Other than the whiskey runners and moonshiners, the rest of the hard men a deputy marshal dealt with were primarily murderers and horse thieves, and many men were both. And equally, both men knew if they were caught, they could be killed, so they were prepared to fight for their lives. That was the job of a deputy marshal, and largely, in the Indian Territory, it fell to black men, like Bass Reeves or Deputy Marshal Grant Johnson, or even the shady sort of deputy like Ike Rogers, who betrayed the outlaw Cherokee Bill. In the West, the law, or what passed for it, was often a black man with a badge and a gun. This is due to the racial politics of the prairie. The Indian tribes both trust and do not fear black men the way that they mistrust and fear white men. The federal government knows this. They know that a black lawman is more likely to go into Indian territory and come back alive. This is a central dynamic for justice in the West. 
We'll dig into how this came to be in a later episode about the Black Seminole chief, John Horse. Now, we uh, often talk about the Black cop in the, our modern context, but Bass Reeves is a very different Black cop. How do you, as somebody who has had issues with police, respect <laughs> a man like Bass Reeves? We wouldn't be at opposite ends of the spectrum. He would be required to arrest me for things I've done, but he wouldn't see them as things that were uh, immoral, unethical. It would just be illegal. That's a different threshold. You know, that's just, okay, the law may change. You know, it was, used to be illegal for this, now it's not. So th- there's room for lawmen and lawbreakers to break bread on areas that are not immoral. My, my feeling is Bass has a job to do. I want any cop who does his job to do it just the way Bass did, without any consideration for who the citizen is, that everybody should get exactly the same treatment. My anger was always when that wasn't the case. Instead of curbside justice, it would be curbside injustice. And that's not right. Whereas Bass, Bass Reeves was the epitome of consistent justice. I don't have any problem with him. My problem with police is the hypocrisy and the refusal to adhere to their own standards. When a police officer kills somebody uh, uh, improperly, they need to go to prison like everybody else who kills somebody improperly. Your job shouldn't protect you from doing improper things. And in 1886, Bass Reeves has to meet the law head-on. That's when the lawman is arrested for murder. An October morning in a quiet suburb in a town in Scotland. A man is walking his dog when suddenly shots are fired from a car. The man falls to the ground and the car speeds off. An ordinary residential area, but extraordinary things happen in ordinary places. The instinct right away was it was a political thing. We're talking about Russian trained, high ranking officer in the Secret Service. An Assassin Comes to Town, a six part podcast. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. What are you looking for in a new smart TV? 4K picture quality, high quality and immersive sound, a sleek design. All of those are givens, but only the new Roku Pro series has all of those and the Roku streaming experience, an award-winning OS. Get fast, easy access to all your apps like iHeart, where you can stream all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts all day, and regular all-inclusive trips to Roku City. The new Roku Pro series, a smart TV built by the streaming pros. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing Watson X Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with Watson X Governance. Learn more at ibm.com governance. IBM. Let's create. There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events, like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more. Connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. 
Limited time offer. Requires 0% APR 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details. Bass Reeves stands accused of murdering his cook after a fight. It's alleged that the cook poured hot grease down a dog's throat to get back at Bass Reeves for an earlier incident. Or the dog was the cook's and Bass Reeves threatened to kill it. It depends on which prisoner tells the story. What all agree on is that Bass Reeves, at the time, was dislodging a shell from his rifle. It was the wrong caliber. He claimed the rifle misfired. His defense is that it was an accident. Either way, intentional or accidental, a bullet caught the cook, a man named Leach, in the neck. Bass Reeves' nephew was there that night. I asked Leach if he was badly hurt, and he said he was. I heard Leach tell the doctor he did not think Bass shot him on purpose. It always been perfectly friendly. I'd been with Bass and Leach on the trip about two months, and I'd never heard a crossword between them. When the shooting happened in 1884, it was deemed an accident. But between then and when Bass Reeves was arrested for it two years later, something curious was going on in the country, something that would change the way that justice is served in America forevermore. What was your conception of the West and the end of the West and the tragedy of what was lost at that time? It was complete. It was went from a place that had a bright future. They were creating towns. They were creating uh, futures for themselves. They were creating places for their families. They believed in what they were doing. And then when Rutherford Hayes cut that deal to, to win the election, that set everything in motion because part of the agreement was they're going to take the Union Army out and in Reconstruction. And, and that didn't happen in one day. The agreement happened in one day. But it took about 20 years for them to fully accomplish the removal and replacement of the systems that had been put in by the Freedmen's Bureau and, and by the new, newly elected Congress. So it took from 1877 to 1897 before they really finished it. And 1896 was the Plessy versus Ferguson uh, case, which was separate but equal. So that, 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 finished, that finished the work of turning around Reconstruction. That was the punctuation. But it took a long time because all the white people in those states were not in favor of doing it. A lot of people were pleased that, that slavery was over, that now we can, we can go back to being decent people. And then decent people then go on about their business and start doing their work. And then the evil people get together and, and make deals. And that's what they did. And they got together and then they just one by one took over the state legislatures. They compromised people. They, they, the, the Ku Klux Klan went berserk and the North turned their heads. They turned the northern states turned their heads away for any number of reasons, all of which were uh, low down, you know, unworthy. Uh, but the net the net result of that was that we, when Reconstruction ended, then the possibilities of the West ended. While we often focus on Rutherford B. Hayes and his compromise of 1877 as the end of Reconstruction, the spark of Lincoln-inspired hope for racial progress in America that was articulated at the end of the Civil War, that last flicker actually died in 1884 with the election of Grover Cleveland. He was the first Democrat president elected since the Civil War. His election signaled the final death knell of any remaining hopes of a restoration of America's commitment to its founding idealism. And it marked the true end of the more earthbound goals of equality brought about by Reconstruction. Following the election of President Cleveland, lynchings of black Americans went up dramatically. Hate crimes in general spiked. The mood of the country changed. There was a new dominant key of resentment aimed at the recent racial advancements. 
This nationwide sea change was equally felt in the Indian Territory. The newly elected President Cleveland appoints a new U.S. Marshal, John Carroll, a former Confederate soldier. Now that he's the chief lawman in the Indian Territory, acting on his direction, Commissioner Stephen Wheeler of Fort Smith charges Bass Reeves on the two-year-old murder rap. Many suspect the charges are racially motivated. And the legal process seemed to be that way, too. Bass Reeves recalls a run-in that he had with one of his white jurors. He said, yes, I am a jury man, and if you want to save your neck, you'd better make a statement to me. I told him again I had no statement to make. He then said, you damn black son of a bitch, I'm just as certain to break your neck as I have this cane in my hand. Me and three others have got it in for you. Witnesses to the exchange affirm Bass Reeves' recollection of events. Judge Parker ordered the juror to appear before him or be held in contempt of court. The juror is eventually excused, and the Bass Reeves murder trial carries on. On October 15, 1887, a Sunday night, the foreman of the jury, as instructed by Judge Parker, reads the verdict. We, the jury, find the defendant not guilty. Bass Reeves is once again free. Justice carries on. The system that Bass Reeves believes in works, despite ugly racist attempts to manipulate it. It was around May 15, 1895. A man named Zachariah Thatch was killed by his traveling partner, a man named George Wilson. Wilson is a career criminal who has been released from a Tennessee prison one year earlier. The night of the killing, Wilson is spotted in the Red Dog Saloon in Keokuk Falls, Oklahoma Territory. It's a whiskey joint one mile west over the border from the Creek Nation and one mile north from the border of the Seminole Nation. Its precise location was for legal reasons. Keokuk Falls was one of the most infamous whiskey towns on the prairie. Later that night, after Wilson stumbled out of the Red Dog Saloon, two shots sounded in the dark. Witnesses said they came from where Thatch and Wilson had set up camp for that night. The next morning, a body is found in Rock Creek. The corpse is Zachariah Thatch. He's missing digits from two fingers, blown off by gunfire. Worse though, his head has been cracked apart like a melon split open by an axe. Deputy Marshal Bass Reeves arrives a few days later, armed with an arrest warrant. It doesn't take him long to track down Wilson, who is traveling overland with Thatch's wagon and all of his possessions. Wilson claims to the lawman that he's the nephew of Zachariah Thatch and that he's merely watching the wagon and all of his uncle's property while he's off hunting. Trouble for the outlaw is Bass Reeves has brought the corpse of Zachariah Thatch with him. Wilson quickly identifies the body. He even admits that George Wilson is not his real name. He was born James C. Casharego of Conway, Arkansas but he swears to Bass Reeves that he did not kill Thatch. So, Bass Reeves investigates. He finds a pair of Wilson's pants, rust-stained with blood. The outlaw says he'd hunted rabbit for dinner the night before, and he'd stained his pants butchering the animal. Bass Reeves finds an axe in Wilson's wagon hidden among Thatch's property. It's highly unlikely that Wilson butchered the rabbit with an axe. The facts begin to indict the guilty man. The final clue is the most difficult to discover and thus is also the most damning. Bass Reeves investigates the campsite and finds remains of two campfires. One of the fires burned right next to a tree. That's a curious place to build a fire. The Oklahoma soil is parched from all the dry weather they'd seen lately. When Bass Reeves digs into the campfire's ashes, he turns over blood-stained earth. He discovers the murdered man's blood preserved in the soil. 
James C. Casharego of Conway, Arkansas, a.k.a. George Wilson, is taken to Fort Smith, where he is tried, convicted, and sentenced to die. On July 30th, 1896, Bass Reeves and Ed Reed watch James Casharego step through the gallows trap. He's the last man to be hanged at Fort Smith. The jurisdiction of the court over Indian Territory comes to an end on September 1st, 1896. Bass Reeves' detective work is certainly cunning and commendable, but the true highlight of the lawman's career, at least according to Bass Reeves, is the manhunt to capture the outlaw Bob Dozier. From what we know, Bob Dozier started out as a farmer. He was smart, handy, and productive. Then, for reasons only he could explain, he decides to become an outlaw. A black outlaw in Indian Territory, he's wildly successful at it. One key to his success, he's an outlaw jack-of-all-trades. He operates land swindles. He steals jewels. He'll rob a poker game that's all big-money gamblers. And meanwhile, on the side, he runs a gang that specializes in horse theft. Bob Dozier tends to hit other criminals, which reduces the chances a U.S. marshal or sheriff will ever get involved. He's smart. Also, since he's known as a violent man, it limits the number of people looking to bear witness against him. His crimes often go unpunished. That is, until Bass Reeves gets a writ. The arrest warrant is to bring the black outlaw Bob Dozier to Fort Smith to stand trial for stealing a horse from a white man named Sam Stratton. The theft occurred six months earlier, but six months later, after no other deputy marshals can find the outlaw, the writ goes to Bass. He rides out in the dead of winter to find Bob Dozier. It will require months to track down the cunning bandit. You could think of Bob Dozier as like Omar from The Wire, but for the Indian Territory. Finally, Bass catches a cold trail. He works it until it's a warm trail. He gets closer and closer. Bob Dozier hears word that Bass Reeves is hunting him down. The outlaw sends word to Bass Reeves to stop looking for him, or he'll kill the lawman. Bass Reeves sends word back. If Dozier wants to end things, he should just stop running. A few more months pass. Bass Reeves continues to stay on the outlaw's trail. Bob Dozier can't rest. He can't stay anywhere more than a day. He must stay perpetually on the move to avoid capture. The outlaw grows weary as Bass Reeves gets closer and closer. Finally, Bass tracks the outlaw down to a canyon ravine in the Cherokee Hills. But a storm starts to wash away the outlaw's tracks. It's the perfect place to lose the lawman. As a master tracker and former army scout, Bass Reeves knows this. He decides to take a risky gamble. He leads his posse man down into the ravine, giving up the high ground. It's a nearly fatal gamble. A shot is fired from an unseen rifle. His posse man scatters, leaving their horses in the ravine and Bass all alone. The posse man hides among the tree line. Both lawmen try to spot their ambushers. It has to be Bob Dozier and his men. Bass Reeves stays in the ravine. He lets his eyes adjust to the darkness of nightfall. He watches the trees, scanning for any movement. He spies a figure as it darts between the two trees. He leads it with his Winchester and then fires twice. The figure falls with a pained sound. The gunfire gives away Bass's position. A second unseen man returns fire. Bass Reeves lurches to his side. He makes an anguished sound and falls to the ravine ground. He's back to his old tricks. Rain splatters next to him. Lightning splits the darkness with flashes of light. Bass Reeves lies there, his trap set, waiting for his man to make his move. After a short wait, Bob Dozier laughs against the darkness. 
He's killed Bass Reeves, and he knows it. He steps out of the trees to inspect his prize. Once he's close enough, Bass Reeves speaks. He orders Bob Dozier to drop his weapon. The outlaw Bob Dozier can't believe he fell for such a schoolboy trap. Bass Reeves orders him again to drop his weapon. Instead, Bob Dozier drops low to a squat to fire at Bass Reeves, who's still lying on the ground. Bass Reeves is faster. He fires first. The bullet tears into Bob Dozier's neck. He's likely dead before he hits the dirt. This was one of the last highlights of Bass Reeves' long career, at least as far as he was concerned. It happened around the same time when everything officially changed, not just for Bass, but for all of America. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. In 1868, a few years after the end of the Civil War, the United States ratified the 14th Amendment. It guarantees equal protection under the law to all citizens of the U.S. Nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. Of course, the law is one thing. Reality is another. By the time Bass Reeves caught Bob Dozier, the case of Plessy versus Ferguson had made its way to the Supreme Court. In short, a mixed-race man in New Orleans boarded a train and sat in a whites-only seat. When the conductor forced the man from his seat, it was in direct violation of his 14th Amendment rights. But the court decided the train company was well within its rights to discriminate on the basis of race. This was the beginning of Separate But Equal. And it was the end of a black lawman enforcing the laws of this land. How could he, if he wasn't equal to the citizens he arrested? For three decades, Bass Reeves rides as a federal lawman. He risks his life and limb for the law-abiding people of the Indian Territory, regardless of race, creed, class, or color. He lives according to America's most deeply revered values. And he feels betrayed when the nation's lawmakers and the justices of the Supreme Court are the ones to put him back in his place. And they dare to call it progress and the coming of civilization. Hello, iHeart listener. We have a confession to make. Both iHeart and this commercial you're listening to right now would probably sound a heck of a lot better on the new Roku Pro Series TV. It's got side-firing speakers that fill your room with sound, Dolby Atmos audio that puts you right in the middle of the entertainment, and the ability to pair seamlessly with your home theater sound systems that already have surround sound and booming bass. If all that sounds too good to be true, it'll sound even better on the new Roku Pro Series. Your hearing isn't better. Your TV is. An October morning in a quiet suburb in a town in Scotland. A man is walking his dog when suddenly shots are fired from a car. The man falls to the ground and the car speeds off. An ordinary residential area, but extraordinary things happen in ordinary places. The instinct right away was it was a political thing. We're talking about Russian trained, high-ranking officer in the Secret Service. An assassin comes to town, a six-part podcast. 
Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash code assistant. IBM, let's create. There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events, like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more. Connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Limited time offer. Requires 0% APR 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details. Do you feel that Bass Reeves would have felt that the Supreme Court betrayed his values? I mean, here's the highest court in the law. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the, the Supreme Court. But they, they were a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of racists. <laughs> so, you know, of course, they betrayed him completely. He didn't die pleased with the, with the way the country was moving. He couldn't because it was it was moving backwards from where it had been moving. It was when he, when he went west, it was moving in an upward trajectory. You know, he was bringing law and order and and they had opportunity. If you were a, a free man, a fair man, a just man, there was work for you. And he did that without any change of anything except the people who were making the decisions. Everything turned backwards because they, they betrayed the country. Not just black people. They betrayed the whole country when they did that because they turned the whole country in a direction that we're still coming out of. You know, the whole country got consumed with the industry of bigotry. All the commercial activities that support bigotry is what we are now stuck with. You know, so, no, he, he had to feel betrayed, but he also had to feel that the country still had the potential to, to correct itself. Judge Parker's court officially ends its session on September 1st, 1896. The new federal appointees at Fort Smith are now increasingly Democrats. They set about dismantling Reconstruction, fast as they can. A few months after his last gavel strike, Judge Parker dies on November 17th, 1896. He was 58 years old. He passes away eight months to the day after he watched Cherokee Bill hang from his gallows, the last great outlaw he'd sentenced to die. After Judge Parker is gone, Bass Reeves operates primarily out of the federal courthouse down in Paris, Texas. It'll soon be time for him to move on, but not before he makes one more attempt at ensuring justice for black men in America. At one point, while Bass Reeves works down in the Lone Star State, a white rancher named John Ashley shoots and kills his black neighbor. Soon after that, Ashley's livestock starts to mysteriously die. Then, his house is burned down. To get justice of their own, Ashley's neighbors go hunting for black people to punish. They find a few black farmers out on the road. There's no evidence that they're the guilty party. The crowd needs no evidence. They hang the black men from trees. And then, they go looking for more. Most of the black community flees the area. As they attempt to reach safety, the sheriff arrests six young black men he feels are responsible, and he holds them in custody in his jail. 
A crowd forms, intent on more Texas justice. They plan to lynch the men. First, they'll need to break into the county jail and yank the black men out of their cells where they're locked up. U.S. deputy marshals are called in to protect the jail. The tallest, toughest-looking marshal among them is also the blackest. That night, the lynch mob loses to Bass Reeves, and six black men keep their lives. Bass Reeves believes in justice far more than his former master did, who coincidentally was a Texas lawmaker. Bass also believes in justice more than his white neighbors do, the ones who reserve it for the races they respect and pursue justice conditionally. To Bass Reeves, justice isn't just blind. It isn't even personal. It's what we all live under. It's what holds us together. It's the tie that binds. Without the law, there is no we. His faith in justice was first tested when he was on trial himself, yet it was strengthened when he was acquitted. Now he must face the biggest test of his deep faith in the law. One day, Ben Reeves, the son of Bass, comes home to find his wife in bed with another man. He flies into a rage. He beats the man and then kills his wife. After he attempts to take his own life and his gun misfires, he takes off. Now he's a wanted man. An arrest warrant is soon drawn up. Marshal Bennett doesn't know what to do. No deputy marshal wants to hunt down the son of Bass Reeves. The father, though, does what he's raised his son to respect. Bass Reeves reportedly tells the marshal, Give me the writ. It doesn't take the lawman father long to find his son. He tracks him down to a house. Some people beg Bass Reeves to go easy on his boy. Bass Reeves pays them no mind. He speaks directly to his son. According to Reverend Charles Davis, a Creek freedman, Bass Reeves shouted to his boy, Now, Benny, you are no more my son. You committed a crime, and I have a warrant in my pocket for you. A bench warrant, either to bring you in dead or alive. And I'm going to take you in today, one way or the other. You can come out with your hands up, or else your whole body will be down. Ben Reeves comes out from where he was hiding, his hands raised high over his head. It has to be one of the saddest days of Bass Reeves' life. And he does it for justice. His commitment is that great. Then America betrays him and his belief in the nation. Like his father before him, Ben Reeves has to face a murder trial. He's tried, convicted, and sentenced to life in prison in Leavenworth. When Bass Reeves goes to arrest his son, Ben Reeves, for murder, uh, I wondered if you were the law, would you come after me like that? (laughs) That's a very difficult question. But the answer is no. I wouldn't do anything to help you get away. I wouldn't do anything to help you hide. And I I wouldn't do anything to help them catch you. That's a fair deal. I'll take that. The cowboy era ends, and we've talked about how the racism comes to the West. But what do you imagine for black men who, they lost that cowboy era, they lose that freedom, just specifically them, like, it seems so sad, you know, to to know, to get this moment of, like, two decades of actual freedom and then to have that taken away after dedicating yourself to enlarging America. They committed yeah. themselves to the American enterprise and then this is their re- their return. This is their repayment. Yeah, they believe what the government told them, that you are now free and full citizens. Mm-hmm. And they acted on it and they went out to went west. The level of betrayal that was felt is what we're working against now. It's a reasonable position to be skeptical of America if you're black or native. Yeah, I mean, yeah. 
Why is America so committed to allowing bigotry, like the American people who do go for that? And I'm not suggesting all Americans are like mm-hmm. this. I do know that it is it is not the majority of Americans who feel this way, but yet the the impulse is so strong that it is recognizable and expected and you can you know what it's going to be coming. So why is that? What about, what about that feeling? What does bigotry provide that a person's willing to go against their own self-interest to have that? It's a satisfaction with a failed life. <laughs> God damn. There it is. (laughs) 1907 was the year Oklahoma joined the Union. It was also the same year the Indian Territory was declared no more. What this means for Bass Reeves is he's out of a job. There's no longer any need for a deputy marshal in the territory since there's no longer a territory. He's fired by the march of what the new white folks in town call progress. The next year, in 1908, Bass Reeves becomes a beat cop in Muskogee, Oklahoma. He's forced to only work in the black section of town. He's no longer allowed to arrest white citizens or have any legal authority over them. At one time, he could shoot them dead. Now, he can't even shoot them a mean look. By 1908, Bass Reeves is worn down and limps from an old gunshot wound. After nearly two years as a beat cop, he retires from the Muskogee police in 1909. By 1910, Bass Reeves is dead. He dies on January 12th at home. The last of the real Wild West passes away with him. When Bass Reeves dies, his son Ben is still locked up behind bars in federal prison, perhaps as a way to pay their respects to the departed legendary lawman. Friends of Bass start to work to free his son. They advocate for him with the authorities. And finally, in 1914, Bass Reeves' son's life sentence is commuted. Bass Reeves was without a doubt America's greatest lawman, a proud tradition, a legend of the law. And what did he get for it? When he needed someone, he was treated like a dog. He believed in America more than America did. Here was a lawman so unswerving from justice and so relentless in his pursuit of it that he entered people's dreams. One man who attempted to kill his wife had a dream that Bass Reeves was looking for him, hunting him down. When he woke up, he went to the authorities and turned himself in. That's a true story. That's the sort of hold Bass Reeves had on the people and the land that he policed. A black cop is a difficult job, to say the least. It's a trope in hip-hop, movies, online culture. Everyone knows the black cop is to be avoided. But also, the black cop represents the idea of race and justice paired together, even if the black cop doesn't guarantee real racial justice just because he or she is black. When the good people arrived in Oklahoma with their racism and their law books, Bass Reeves had to take a backseat to progress. But until then, he was an incorruptible, indomitable law of the land, what nearly everyone would call a good cop. The prairie was certainly more fair and just when law and order were maintained by the hanging judge Isaac Parker and the greatest lawman the West ever knew, Bass Reeves. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for Chapter 4, Esteban, the first black cowboy. We're going to step back even further in American history. Black Cowboys is written by me, Zarin Burnett. Produced and edited by Ryan Murdoch and Michelle Lands. Our theme song is written and performed by Demeanor. Sound design and music by Jeremy Thal. Additional music by Alvin Youngblood Hart. Additional music also by Greg Chudzik. Research and fact-checking by Austin Thompson, Marissa Brown, Jocelyn Sears, and Aaron Blakemore. Performances by Adam Copeland, Tom Combs, and Ryan Murdoch. Show logo by Lucy Quintanilla. Executive producers are Jason English and Mangesh Hatikater. Yeah, this a home, it's been a long road for us. 
We taking ownership over everything owed to us Royalty, we surrounded by our heritage Our fist up, cause we proud to be American Special thanks, as always, to my pop Boom, I think I got it What's really in the name? Sitting on a Mustang, riding through the plains. Buffalo soldier, the king of the range. We in love with the cowboy way. Hello, iHeart listener. We have a confession to make. Both iHeart and this commercial you're listening to right now would probably sound a heck of a lot better on the new Roku Pro Series TV. It's got side-firing speakers that fill your room with sound, Dolby Atmos audio that puts you right in the middle of the entertainment, and the ability to pair seamlessly with your home theater sound systems that already have surround sound and booming bass. If all that sounds too good to be true, it'll sound even better on the new Roku Pro Series. Your hearing isn't better. Your TV is. An October morning in a quiet suburb in a town in Scotland. A man is walking his dog when suddenly shots are fired from a car. The man falls to the ground and the car speeds off. An ordinary residential area, but extraordinary things happen in ordinary places. The instinct right away was it was a political thing. We're talking about Russian trained, high ranking officer in the Secret Service. An assassin comes to town, a six part podcast. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. When we come together, it's magic. And for 30 years, we've celebrated that. Because our ideas, our art, our flavor, our community, our impact, there's nothing like it. Here, in this place, this is where we fall more in love with everything that makes us, us. This is the place where we love us. Celebrate 30 years of loving us at Essence Festival. Get your tickets at EssenceFestival.com. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.